Would you please turn to Acts? Are we, is there special music or is that earlier? Okay, let's do that. Well, that's right. If you, if you have your Bibles, would you please open to Acts 21? Acts 21. We're making our way through Acts. And uh, I think that it, I'm just really good, glad that when we talked about, you know, what, what's the next sermon series we should talk, we should talk through as, and as elders. We uh, talked with people in the church and we said, Acts seems very appropriate and it, it's been very good. It's been very good during this time. So Acts 21, we'll start with verse 37. I'll read all the way through uh, chapter 22, verse 29. And as I read this, I want you to think, we all have a story to tell. And if you remember, as we go through this, Paul is telling his story. He's giving his testimony. And we all have a testimony, and our testimonies are powerful, because they're ours. That's how, how God has talked with us, how he's shown us how much we really need him. So we'll begin with verse 37. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks... He asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied, aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the desert some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. Having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city under Gamaliel, and I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, asserting both, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people to, as prisoners to Jerusalem, to be punished. About noon I came near Damascus. Suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked, get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see see him. And he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men 
and what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple, and I fell into a trance, and I saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately, because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. The Lord said to me, go and I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. They were, then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. And as they were shouting and throwing their cloaks and flinging dust in the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed him to be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As he stretched out him to, be, to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? He asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to question him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. It says that the grass withers. The flower falls, but the word of God endures forever. It says the scripture cannot be broken. It says that your word is true. It says heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word is authoritative. Your word is inspired. It's inerrant. It's infallible. It's, it's reliable. It gives strength. It gives encouragement. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I just pray... God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart will be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. A.W. Tozer says, A scared world needs a fearless church. A scared world needs a fearless church. And the message I want to share with you today is that we all have a testimony. We all have a story to tell. Paul has just completed his third missionary journey and has come to Jerusalem to deliver an offering from the Gentile churches. Paul shared how much God was accomplishing among the Gentiles. The church leaders in Jerusalem shared with Paul how some of the Jewish Christians opposed him. The church leaders created a plan, it says, this is from last week, for Paul to demonstrate his respect for Jewish customs and heritage and traditions. And Paul, with four other Jews, would complete a Nazarite vow. And Paul would pay also for their expenses. Jews from Asia, it said, had seen Paul in the temple. And they began to stir up a crowd and seized him. 
the, the enraged Jews cried out and accused Paul of preaching to all men everywhere against the Jews, the law, and the temple. They assumed, it said, that Paul had brought a Gentile from Ephesus named Trophimus into the temple area. They dragged Paul out, it says. Um, they dragged him out of the temple and shut the doors. The hysterical mob began to beat Paul on the spot. They were even too impatient to drag him outside. They just wanted to beat him right there. Paul providentially, God providentially brought help to Paul by the means of the Roman soldiers. A Roman commander received a report, it says, of the chaos and ordered the soldiers to stop the uproar. He directed Paul to be bound, it says, with two chains and inquired who he was and what he had done. The commander couldn't interrogate him because of the crowd's noise and ordered Paul to be brought into the fortress of Antonio. The soldiers had to carry Paul, it says, because of the violence of the mob. The crowd following and they kept shouting, away with him, away with him. It reminds me of Jesus when they said, crucify him, crucify him. It was in the same spot as well. And now we come to our portion of scripture for today. Paul speaks to the commander. Starts in verse 37. The barracks is the fortress of Antonio. It's connected on the northern end of the temple. And by two flights of steps to that castle-like fortress. The tower overlooked the temple area. And we know the commander's name. Because he wrote a letter to the Roman governor Felix in chapter 23. The commander's name is Claudius Lysias. Luke calls him a chiliarch. A chiliarch is literally a commander of a thousand men at the fortress of Antonio. The remains of the fortress are still there today in Israel. The fortress is built by Herod the Great. It's actually named after Mark Anthony. That's how we get to Antonio. It was built to house the 10th Roman Legion. The 10th Legion would be occupying the fortress during all the major Jewish festivals, including this one at Pentecost. They were there to keep the peace. There were temple police there, but Rome would never tolerate rioting. They even executed Roman soldiers that allowed rioting to happen. They, they wanted order. Paul is in the same place where Jesus was when he was before Pontius Pilate. Paul makes a polite and res respectful request in Greek to the commander, Claudius Lysias, we see in verse 37. He is surprised that Paul speaks Greek, assuming that he was an Egyptian that started a revolt that led 4,000 terrorists out into the desert some time ago. Josephus, the Jewish historian, speaks about this group of assassins called the Sicarii, meaning daggermen. They were terrorists, as it talks about in verse 38, because they carried daggers. They would mingle in with the crowds to fit in and to assassinate people for political means. They were literally terrorists. Three years before, there was an Egyptian who had led a group of 4,000 assassins out to the Mount of Olives. Roman soldiers killed hundreds and imprisoned some, but Josephus says that the leader escaped. The leader claimed to be a prophet of God and said that the city of Jerusalem would be destroyed. Claudius Lysias says to Paul, aren't you that Egyptian guy, basically, that started the revolt? 
Paul says to Claudius, Lysias, that he is a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. He says, please let me speak to the people. I'm just amazed when I hear that. Here he's polite, and these guys, these Jews were beating him up, and he's so respectful. And if you think about this, we talked about this in Sunday school, and and Isaac talked about this last week, and I just feel like I'm compelled to share this again. Because remember in Romans, Chapter 9 and 10, verse 1 in each, but it says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer for God is the Israelites that they might be saved. And Paul had a heart for his people, even though they wanted to kill him. He says in chapter 9 of Romans, verse 3, For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. He had a heart for people and he had a heart for his fellow Jews. So he says respectfully, to this, uh, this commander, this Chiliarch, he says, please let me speak to the people. Paul had citizenship in Tarsus as well as being a Roman citizen. And Tarsus was no ordinary city. It was a noble city. It was a Greek city as well. It was a free city in the Roman Empire. It was about 10 miles away from Sidnes, the Sidnes River, and about 30 miles from the mountains, the Tarsus Mountains that were there. It was a commercial city. It was a university city. It was at the crossroads of travel. Paul also he speaks in Greek and claims to be a citizen. And I am sure that that commander was very surprised because he thought he was this Egyptian. He permits Paul to speak. And I'm reminded of the prayer, the believer's prayer in Acts 4.29. Now, Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness. And Paul also prays this prayer in Ephesians 6.19 that we shared with Brant earlier. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. And when they were silent, he spoke to them in Aramaic, their heart language. It was the common language of the Palestinian Jews. And now we start to my second point. is Paul is speaking to the crowd, and he is giving his testimony. Paul stands up and tells the crowd about Jesus. He doesn't say about Jesus fulfilling prophecy. He doesn't give his account about what happened in the temple. He's going to say something that the Jews could not refute. They could not question. He's going to give his personal testimony. He's going to say what Jesus did for him and how Jesus changed his life. When you get involved in philosophical or theological discussions with people, they will challenge you. People can't argue with you about your own story. Paul is going to say to this hostile crowd, Let me tell you what happened to me. Jesus changed my life. Where there was hatred in my life, there is now love. Where there was anger in my heart, there is now compassion. Where there was cruelty in my actions, there is now grace. Notice Paul says, brethren and fathers, a respectful tone. He is polite to the mob that just wanted to rip him apart. The word defense here in Acts 22.1, it says, Now listen to my defense. 
is the Greek word apologia. It is where we get the word apologetics. It doesn't mean that you apologize for your belief in Jesus. It's a clear, logical presentation of the gospel. It's a defense of the gospel. Paul is defending. It is the word that is used in Peter, by Peter in 1 Peter 3.15. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an apologia, to give an answer to everyone who asks you and to give a reason for the hope that you have. But to do this, now interesting, the rest of that verse says, but do this with gentleness and respect. And that's what Paul was doing. He was showing respect, gentleness and respect in a, in a time when he could be angry because they were going to kill him. He could have been mocking them. He could have been rude, but he did it, as Peter said, do it with gentleness and respect. Paul first talks about his conduct before Christ in verses 2 through 5. Then he moves to his conversion experience in verses 6 through 11. And then he follows it by the commissioning of Christ in verses 12 through 21. He's just telling his story. Your testimony is powerful. We should learn to speak our testimony clearly and concisely. We should learn a shorter version, a medium version, and it's sometimes even a longer version of our testimony. It is not only important to know your testimony, it's important to learn to present it well. Let me say that again. It's important. Your testimony is powerful. God uses your testimony. Not only did Paul present his testimony in Acts one time, and not only two times, there's three times he's presenting his testimony. Your testimony is powerful. We need to learn how to present our testimony well. Think it through. Paul mentions Gamaliel in verses 2 through 5. He was a notable teacher of the time, the grandson of Hillel, a famous scholar in Judaism. Gamaliel was the most honored rabbi of the first century. The way it talks about here refers to the Christians. That's Jesus is the way. That's what they talk. We're talking about the way. It's the Christian. The way refers to Christians. And we've spoken about the way in Acts before because it's been mentioned before. Paul was a persecutor of the way. And I'm sure that there were some that were standing in the crowd, even that day, that knew the old Paul when he was a zealous Pharisee and persecuted the way. They could have been even fellow students under Gamaliel when Paul was there as well. And Paul was talking to them. And he says, I want to tell you about Jesus. Jesus changed my life. And I want him to change yours too. Notice in verse 7, Jesus says, Why do you persecute me? To persecute the church is to persecute Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church, and the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. The church is the body of Christ. In verse 10, we see that a genuine conversion was the first thing that came out of the convert's mouth. You could tell there was a genuine conversion that was happening there, because what does he say? In verse 10, Lord, what shall I do? What do you want me to do? Lord, like I'm yours. My life is not mine anymore. I'm surrendering my life to you. My life is to find out what you want me to do and to pursue hard after you. 
Jesus' response is really an interesting one. You know, this is the part out of this whole sermon when I was doing my study this past week and looking. This is the part that really impacted me a lot. This is the part that's like hit me right now where I'm at. And when you read the Bible, you shouldn't just read it for information. You should read it for it to transform your life. It was D.L. Moody that said, God, the Bible wasn't given to increase knowledge. It was given to change lives. That's how you should read the Bible. And as I'm reading this to change my life, what are you trying to, like a ton of bricks just landed on my head. And so like, why didn't I see this before? Well, I think it was the Holy Spirit that was revealing it to me, right? Illuminating. And it says this. And this may not be important to you at the time, but this hit me hard. It says, this, why didn't God say to Paul, Paul, this is my five-year plan for you. God didn't say, first you're going to go to Damascus, then you're going to go to Saudi Arabia, then you'll need to go back to Damascus, then you're going to go to Jerusalem, then you're going to go up to Tarsus. In fact, let me give you your 10-year plan. He didn't say that. He did not say that. What does Jesus say? Get up and go to Damascus. That's it. He says, go to Damascus. Then you will be told all that will be assigned to you to do. We don't need to know all the details of our entire life. We just need to take the next step. You just need to take what is God calling you to do. That is how the Lord leads you. Some of us just need to take a next step. A.W. Tozer said this in this article, Path of Power, Living in the Spirit's Fullness. Just do the next thing you know you should do to carry out the will of God. Just do the next thing. What is God asking you to do? He's not going to let you know what's 10 years down the road. You might think you do. Like, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. You don't even know what tomorrow is going to hold, the Bible says. I mean, your life is like a vapor, it says in James. You don't know. But you know the next step. Like, I knew when I read this verse, I know. I have a sermon I need to preach on Sunday, you know. I know that there's ministry courses that I'm going to finish in January. I better finish that, right? Do the next step. Sometimes people may not take the next step in obedience because they don't know where, they're thinking they don't know where God's going to lead. They don't think, oh, there's hardship and there's suffering ahead, so I don't know if I want to do that. God told Paul, just go to Damascus. That's what he said. Go to Damascus. Do step one, and you'll get step two when you get there. Some of us have got, not gotten very far in our spiritual walk because we have not taken the first step. All of us have a next step to take. All of us have a next step to take. Are you asking God, what, am I, what are you asking me to do? And then you do it. In verses 12 and 15, Luke says that Ananias was a devout observer of the law was highly respected by all the Jews living there. That was important for Luke's readers to hear. God is using Ananias right now. I want you to notice something that's really important in the book of Acts. This was another, like, I've sort of seen this, but it just became even more real when I got to this section. The pattern is that God uses people to reach people for the gospel. Have you thought about that? Have you thought? An angel told Philip, because we're talking about next step. The angel told Philip back in chapter 8 go, you, to go south to the road, the desert road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. He didn't tell him there's an Ethiopian eunuch there. He didn't say that. He said, do the next step. And in obedience, he did. He just says, go. 
God uses Philip to speak to the Ethiopian eunuch. God uses Ananias to speak to Saul. God uses Stephen to speak to Saul. An angel tells Cornelius to, go, to call for Simon Peter. You remember that in chapter 10 of Acts? Why didn't the angel just tell Cornelius how to be saved? He didn't. He said, go get Peter. Bring Peter back. The Spirit tells Peter that three men are coming and looking for him, and Peter goes with them. The Lord uses people to speak to people. He's choosing, you can see that all the way through the book of Acts. And now we get to this testimony, and so this is hitting me. It says, then Jesus appears to Saul on the road. Why doesn't Jesus just tell him everything right there? He's got him right there. He says, okay, Saul, here's what you do. Here's what you're going to do next. Here's what you're going to do next. He doesn't say that. God uses Philip. God used Stephen. God used Ananias. God uses Peter. And God will use you. God will use you. He's going to use you to speak his words so that lives will never be the same again. That means that today, this is, this is a really exciting day in your life. It's exciting to know that a Paul or a Cornelius could be saved today. And why? Because he can use you as an instrument to share the gospel. From Damascus, Paul goes to Saudi Arabia, we find out. In Galatians, he says that he went to Arabia for three years. Then he goes back to Damascus. Problems occur there. And remember, he's let down over the wall in a basket. He comes to Jerusalem. He doesn't mention all that in Paul's testimony here, but he does. And then he goes and comes to Jerusalem where he's praying in the temple. He fell into a trance. It did mention that. The church ships him back to Tarsus in Cilicia for about seven years. And think about this. I mean, it's about 10 years before the Lord used Paul from his conversion date. Because he's going all over. He's going to Arabia. He's going here. He spent some time there. And then he goes to Antioch, strengthens the church, and then before he goes out on his first missionary journey. The next part in, in Paul's testimony just infuriates the crowd. Everything's going really well when he's giving his testimony. Everything is going. I mean, they're listening. It was quiet. Can you imagine the hostile crowd? And all of a sudden, he starts to speak in Aramaic. Everything's quiet. You can probably hear a pin drop. You know, what is this guy saying? And then all of a sudden, he says the word. He says the word. He says the word. The crowd's listening intently until they heard this. They heard what? Gentiles. Listen to the crowds. Rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. Wow. He said this one word and it riled them all up. It wasn't even like a swear word or anything. Well, but to the Jews, that was. If you think of it, did you know that, uh, that very devout Jews at the time believed that Gentiles, it's in their writings, created by God, created was created by God to make even hell hotter. In their writings it says, and I'm quoting, now referring to Gentiles, to kindle, referring to Gentiles, to kindle the fires of hell. Paul is giving the message to the, about the Jewish Messiah to the Gentiles. And he's saying, you know, they don't need to be circumcised to become saved. They don't have to keep the law of Moses to be saved. But why, why were the Jews so mad? So Paul was saying, in essence, this, that Gentiles could come to saving faith in Christ, and he puts them basically on equal footing with the Jews. How could those Gentiles be saved? And they don't have to follow the law. They don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to do this and that. 
All they have to do is by grace, they're saved by faith. They're saved? Like The commander ordered Paul to be flogged and scourged and questioned to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. Jesus was scourged, and that whip they're talking about here was called the flagellum. It's a whip with a short wooden handle, a stout handle. It had leather ropes and thongs attached to it. In the leather, it had bits of glass and metal and bone. The idea was that when it was flung, I mean, this is what we're talking about, this kind of beating. It was stuck in the flesh, and they grabbed it, and they would rip it out, and it would lacerate and shred the victim. Many victims didn't even live through this type of flogging. They were crippled. Jesus endured it, but he needed help, too, to carry the cross up to Calvary. And that was Simon of Cyrene. Paul said he was a Roman citizen. If you claim to be a Roman citizen to stop the flogging, this is what the Romans did. If you claim to be a Roman citizen to stop the flogging, they found out that you were not a Roman citizen. Do you know what the punishment was? It was death. It was capital punishment. So when Paul said, and they're about ready to flog him, he says, I'm a Roman citizen. If it was found out that he wasn't a Roman citizen, he was dead. He was going to die. There were three ways that you can obtain Roman citizenship. You could receive a reward for some outstanding service to Rome. You could buy it, which this was Claudius' list. You could buy it for a considerable price. Or you could be born into a family of Roman citizens. Bought citizenship was considered inferior to citizenship by birth. Verse 29 says that those who were about to question him withdrew immediately. You can imagine why. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. Notice that this is the same reaction as the Roman magistrates did in Philippi in Acts 16. A Roman citizen could not be punished until it was proven, he was proven guilty of a crime. And Paul knew well the cruelty, cruelty and the harshness of Rome. So as we finish this section, I'm, I'm thinking about how to conclude this in applications. First, Paul chose to live a fearless life in Christ and not a fearful one. Remember how I started out. Tozer said, a scared world needs a fearless church. A scared world needs a fearless church. And Paul chose to be fearless in Christ. Notice, in Christ. If you read the book of Ephesians like we studied a few time back, and you look at chapter 1 and 2, how many times it says, in Christ? It's in Christ. Your victory is in Christ. He knew that he was always in the majority when he was in Christ, when he was with Christ. We talked about this this morning, too. When we have... The disciples are in the boat with Jesus when there's a storm. I would rather be in a storm with Jesus than anywhere else in the whole world without Jesus. I would rather be with Jesus in the storm. He knew that he wouldn't be alone. His life of faith was based on the assurance of the faithful one. He knew peace because he served the Prince of Peace. He had great hope because he rested in the blessed hope. He could live a victorious life because he could say, thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus. Paul could face any uncertainty 
because of the certainty that Christ was his Lord and his Savior. So when I look at application for my own self, I'm thinking of this. This just resonates with me. In that book, remember, Tozer said, just do the next thing you know you should do to carry out the will of God. I am learning to ask Jesus what he wants me to do next. I want to be attentive to what the Holy Spirit is telling me right now. Not five years, not ten years, not twenty years down the road, but right now. As most of you know, our possible missionary process is delayed somewhat. It's not over, it's just delayed. Remember the one when Paul wanted to go to Ephesus and the Spirit prevented him. Remember? And he wanted to go north to Mycenae, up into Bithynia and Pontus, and the Lord prevented. Remember, that what he said, your no is just important as your go. Because no doesn't mean rejection. It just means in God's time. It's in God's timing. And, did God, and then he went to, to Troas. And he had the Macedonian vision, remember? And Paul was thinking about the ministry up in Asia Minor. And, that, and God was saying, no, Paul, I got, we're launching all up into Europe. We're going to Rome. Had a bigger vision. So I'm learning that. The best way to focus on any discouragement is this, is to rivet our eyes on Christ and continually rejoice in Him. When you face discouragement, don't let, if, discouragement's of the devil. The scour, he wants you discouraged. He wants you beaten down. He wants you injured. He wants you on the sideline. The best thing to do is to rivet your eyes on Jesus and rejoice in Him. I don't know what you're going to do. Remember, it's in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12, when, when Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat, was in front of the temple, and he's praying. He goes, I'm getting surrounded by three armies, and they're all attacking, but I don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's the verse. Chapter 20, verse 12. I don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. If you fix your eyes, you rivet your eyes on Jesus and rejoice in him, that's where your joy comes from. So Shelly and I are focusing on what God is wanting us to do next. Sometimes in our prayers we hear God say yes. Sometimes we hear him say no. And other times we hear wait. And so we press forward to the upward call of God through Jesus Christ. Remember those verses where it says, wait on the Lord, be strong, take heart, wait on the Lord. It says, be still and know that I am God. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Wait patiently. We don't want to get ahead of God. And we don't want to be lagging behind. We want to be in step with the Spirit, as it talks about in Galatians 5. So that's the first point that I wanted to make, is that we wait in God's perfect timing. God's no's are just important as God's goes. The second is this. It was in the section of Scripture that I noticed how God is continually using people to speak to people. That's God's way. That's what he's doing. Yeah, God uses vision sometimes. God uses miracles sometimes. But what I've seen is God is using people to speak to people. Spend time praying and asking God with whom you should be speaking. Is there someone right now who needs a word of encouragement? A helping hand? Shown an act of kindness? God uses people to speak truth into people's lives. Sharing your testimony like the Apostle Paul did, is a powerful way to connect with people. Write out your testimony. Practice your testimony. And boldly share it with others. Somebody out there is waiting to hear how Jesus has changed your life and your story 
can help change others' lives too. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you how your word speaks. That your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of both soul and spirit, of both joints and mables, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We thank you that your word is living. It's God-breathed. And as we read the word, your word changes lives. Lord, I thank you how it's spoken into my life. The importance of waiting on you. That no doesn't mean rejection. That no means wait in my time. May the no might mean, there might be a no part of it. But no shouldn't always mean it's your rejection. It says we should wait on the Lord. Be in step with you. To look to you. To put our joy in you. To fix our eyes on Christ. That is the joy. And Lord, I pray that every day you would help us to live that joyful life by focusing on, on, focusing on Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. We pray this all in Jesus' name, our Lord and Savior. Amen.